welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. When we talk about the Lord being seen through us as Melanie was just doing, the only way that the Lord can be seen through us is if we really have yielded our lives to Him and are following Him, right? Amen. Otherwise they're seeing something else. And well, let me ask you, do you want to follow Jesus? Come on. <laughs> I don't know. What are you going to say today? Well, well to be honest with you, uh, a, a slow, purposeful answer to that question is, is wise. Jesus talks about that. Um, if you're going to follow Jesus, there are certain things that are going to be inevitable in your life. A lot of them good. Actually, all of them good. Not all of them pleasant. Not all of them fun. Now, so there'll be some inevitabilities, and then there will be some things that are required. There are certain requirements that are going to go along with it. Say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Okay, here's some things that you need to understand and submit your life to. And today, we're going to see two of those things. One thing that's inevitable, one thing that's required if we're going to follow Jesus. Let's take our Bibles and remind ourselves of where we are and what's going on. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, uh, that's page 1136 in the Bible that's under the chairs. And if you don't have your own Bible, I encourage you to grab one of those and follow along. The, the uh, title of this sermon series is Journey to Jerusalem. And we said because this is these stories that we've been looking at. And stories makes it sound like it's not true. It's, it's, it's true stories, okay, that we've been reading and, and what Jesus has been saying. Uh, started down in the desert, down in the area of Jericho, and now they're on the road. And that's what we see here in verse 17 of chapter 20. Jesus, it says, now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, on the road to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, and that's how he referred to himself, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, to the Romans, to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day, he will rise again. How much plainer could Jesus state it? Not much plainer, right? Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that they didn't get it. That's my paraphrase. It says the disciples did not get it. Yeah, because it just didn't fit with what they were thinking. What are they thinking? We're going to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to present himself as the Messiah. We're going to put, throw the Romans out. And we're going to set up God's kingdom here. The kingdom that God has promised us. And we're going to be there with him when he does it. That's what they're thinking. And so Jesus says this stuff to them. And they think, huh, what does he mean by that? Well, it's really clear what he meant, isn't it? We know because we have the rest of the story and they didn't uh, but so this is where Jesus is headed as all of these situations we've been looking at are occurring so he's always on the way there uh, to what he came for and that was to die for our sins right every one of us failed to measure up to what God's standards are and not only once in a while but repeatedly sometimes in big spurts and sometimes we have better days right 
uh, but we've all failed. And because of that, we are unholy. We, are, uh, we have a debt to pay that we are incapable of paying, that if we don't somehow rather get this taken care of before we die, we face an eternity in hell. But this is why Jesus came, right? He came headed for the cross. And on the cross, because he was God, human form, both human, fully human, fully man, he lives a perfect and sinless life, and so he can die on the cross as our substitute. And that's what he did, okay? And then he rose again from the dead, just as he says here. And then the, the, what the rest of Scripture tells us, that if we will believe that, and, and by believe, we don't mean to say, okay, check that off. No, we, we believe it from the heart where we entrust our lives to that truth, to him, that we can put our faith in Jesus to be our Savior, and that means every sin is forgiven. Uh, we have eternal life with him, and he's, he moves in and goes to work on us, okay? And so this is where they were headed. So let's pray, and then we'll continue. Father, we come to you now, and thank you that you loved us enough to send your son into the world to be our Savior. I thank you so much for his willingness to do that on our behalf, to meet our needs. Well, apart from you, we are so unworthy, but you have determined that we are worth sending your son. Help us to believe that, Lord. And I do pray especially for anyone here who hasn't ever really finally settled that matter of receiving your Son as Savior, that even this very moment in their heart, they would just say to you, oh God, that's me. I need that. I believe. I trust. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I pray, Lord, that everyone who hears this or watches this, that we'll have that settled before we're done here today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we are on this journey to Jerusalem, and the, a really significant thing is about to happen in Jesus' interaction with his disciples, and we're going to see one of these things that's inevitable, and we'll see something that is required. And I've entitled this The Greatness Misunderstanding, okay? The greatness, not the great misunderstanding, <laughs> the greatness misunderstanding. So let's, let's read along here. Start in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, so this is stop, Zebedee was a fisherman, Galilee, his sons were James and John, okay? And so their mother is coming to Jesus to ask a question. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand, and the other on your left in your kingdom. I want, I'm asking that my two boys can be your two main men when you set up the kingdom, which in their mind is what? It's what's about to happen. That's what they think is coming. And so she's asking. Now, based on as we read, it goes on, Jesus doesn't respond to her. He responds to James and John, who inevitably are standing there with her, right? They've come with their mom, thinking that maybe if we get mom... You know, he'll be a little more open to that. Uh, so it's interesting, James and John, uh, interesting brothers. Um, Jesus elsewhere calls them the sons of thunder. I got to think that these boys, you know, uh, as they were growing up, probably fought with each other a lot, you know. And then but if somebody came and messed with one of the other brothers, they both ganged up. You know how that goes, right? And that these were the kinds of guys, they were ready to go. In fact, we see that uh, when Jesus was 
coming from the north, from Galilee down to uh, Judea and Jerusalem, that area, that they went through Samaria, which the Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other. They, they really were both very prejudiced against each other. But Jesus is coming through there. And so the disciples, some of them go ahead to the town that Jesus is coming up to to try to make arrangements, a place to stay or whatever. And when they saw that they were Jews, they refused them and wouldn't let them come. Get out of here. James and John say to Jesus, you want us to call fire down on them and destroy them? And Jesus rebukes them and says, you don't understand what spirit you're of. You're missing the point here. Uh, that was them. They also were the ones who brought to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, there's some other people teaching the same thing you are. You want us to rebuke them and tell them to stop? And Jesus is like, what? <laughs> Look, if they're, if they're teaching the same thing, they're not against us, right? Anyway, this is James and John, okay? And so it makes sense that they would what? We want to be there. Jesus' right hand and left hand, okay? So they're asking that question. But Jesus tells them, really, they, they don't know what they're asking. Let's read verse 22. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Let's just stop there for a moment. And uh, so two things. He says, drink this cup, okay? Now, we're familiar with the, the cup, right? We think of that with the, the Lord's Supper, right? Drink the cup, uh, the cup can mean lots of things. In, in David in Psalm 23 says, talking about God's blessing, he says, my cup runs over. But very often in scripture, the cup also means talking about God's judgment and wrath, okay, that you're going to drink that. Remember, what did Jesus pray in the garden? You know, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from in other words, he was going to experience the judgment and wrath of God as he hung on the cross for our sins, paying that penalty. He was going to experience that. And so this idea of the cup of God's judgment and wrath. And, and so Jesus asking them, are you, are you really prepared to experience that? Is that what you're... You think you're signing up for this, but signing up for this means you're signing up for this too. The same idea with the word baptism. The word baptism, we usually think, you know, depending on what your religious background is, you might think of sprinkling babies uh, or like we would teach you here. It's about being immersed in water as a sign, right? A symbol of Jesus dying and being buried and rising. And we're saying, that's us with him, right? Uh, it means that. But the, the root idea of baptism is to be fully immersed in something. To be fully immersed. And so... In this situation, he's talking about be fully immersed in an experience that was coming, the circumstances, which were going to be harsh, hard, difficult. Um, and so Jesus is saying, are, are you, you understand what you're asking? That's what he's really saying. Are you able? Now, sons of thunder, James and John, they said to him, we are able they really, again, don't know what they're talking about, do they? Do you remember Peter when uh, Jesus at another point said, I'm going to go and I'm going to be killed? And what did Peter do? Do you remember? He pulled Jesus aside and corrected Jesus. Yeah. Not a smart idea. <laughs> and says, no way, no way are we letting that happen to you. I'm not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You're, you're speaking against 
what God is doing. He wasn't actually saved. You understand? That's the role he was taking. And so when they say, we're able, they don't understand. They are not able in that sense. Um, Verse 23, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared for my father. As Jesus said, it's not even something I can give to you. Um, But he said, you will indeed drink this cup and experience this baptism of suffering for the Lord. And they would. James was the early leader of the church there in Jerusalem, and he was the first apostle to be killed, to be martyred. And John experienced that, his brother being killed. John is the last apostle to die. And so he sees all of the others dying and leaving and going. He experiences all of that loss, plus his own torture, because they came down to the end. Uh, uh, church history pretty solidly indicates that John had become the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And during the reign of the emperor Domitian, uh, a huge persecution broke out and he was persecuted and was banished to the Isle of Patmos where he had to work in the mines. He was working in the mines, living in the mines, sleeping in the mines. And this is where God gave him the vision, revelation. But He's, by this time, he's at least in his mid-50s. He could be in his 80s. We don't know for sure. But he's being tortured in a sense. And then he, he, you know, the last one to die. So they both did experience this, didn't they? And not just them, every one of the apostles, many of the Christians. We read it, they suffered, right? Remember the apostle Paul before he became the apostle? You know, he persecuted and had people beaten and killed and so much happens around the world but let me here's a a truth that we want to see this is what i said this is an inevitability if you're going to follow christ now you can say i'm a christian take the name pray a prayer and say okay i I believe save and then not follow christ and we could have a conversation about what kind of faith did you put in jesus at that point but we're talking about when you choose to actually follow him. You choose to serve him. You choose to try to live the way you're supposed to live. You choose to try to follow his leadings by the spirit within you, right? If you're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, you're going to experience suffering. Okay? Welcome to the club. But it's true. We see this all through scripture and the Lord tells his disciples this. He tells, I think this is by extension to us as well. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Man, that's a harsh form of suffering. Um, But it just comes with the life. And we might think, wow, that's kind of tough. Unless you doubt it. We're not talking here about the normal sufferings of life, right? We all struggle with getting sick. Right? We all are, are vulnerable to getting disease. We all have loved ones who die. We all you know, have financial difficulties from time to time. We aren't talking about just all the things that happens to everybody in life. We're talking about things that you have done because of your relationship with the Lord. Decisions that you have made. Things, truths that you are holding to. Um, 
service that you're trying to do, you're trying to do good things. He's talking about when you suffer for those kinds of things, that if you're following Christ, it is inevitable, you will suffer for it. Now, what I want to do today is try to help you to be real, uh, help this to be more real to you, maybe. Um, and I acknowledge here that compared to other places in the world, our suffering isn't very bad, is it? And there are places in the world where if, if you show up at church today, it's possible somebody's going to notice and uh, you know, you'll be beaten up or killed or you lose your job or, or whatever, right, as you try to live for Christ. I mean, uh, there are people in prisons today who are being tortured because they have followed Christ. So we aren't experiencing that. But we don't live in those places. We live here. And so we say, well, we don't suffer. No, that's not true. We do suffer. We have the kind of suffering that people in our culture experience and have to wrestle with. And it's just as real to us. I mean, believe me, I'd choose this over the other. But it's still real. Let me just share with you from my own life some examples of suffering. And um, so let me say up front that uh, God is so gracious and, and has worked in our lives through it. But let me, just, let me just go through this and then I'll try to bring it together for you. So it is, this suffering is real for us. It's modern United States suffering, okay? But it's still real. Because when you suffer, you suffer, okay? Uh, when I think about suffering, physical suffering, by, you know, God's grace, I haven't really had to suffer physically for serving the Lord, for choosing to follow him. Back in, in uh, I guess, say, the 1975 and probably about in 76 or 77, I, I, I had that moment in the early morning with the Lord, and I said, I will Okay, I will go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do, wherever, whenever, however, whatever it costs. Of course, I didn't know what that all meant. <laughs> but I meant it. Okay? I meant I was serious. And God has worked and kept, held me to that over the years. Anyway, so thankfully, I haven't ever been beaten up or all that. You know, not, no direct stuff physically, but there have been times of suffering where the stress doesn't let up for more than a year. And that does take a physical toll on you, okay? So I've experienced some of that, uh, the results of prolonged stress. And, and like I said, I haven't ever been beat up, but there was a time when, and I can tell you the story someday if you'd like, uh, but I was in a position, almost got, I was, almost got beat up for something I said at a funeral. And it was pretty scary. I was glad Glenda was there because she got in their face and told them to back off or something. Like that. But it wasn't quite like that. But, but so that, that actually happened. And there was a time when um, there was a man who was not acting stable and uh, carried a gun. And he was looking for one of the deacons and for me. He didn't say he was coming to shoot us, but he wanted to find us. I need to talk to you. Anyway. And so at that point... Uh, I had to take my family and we went to a hotel and stayed for a few days. I mean, I feel kind of strange since you're telling me this stuff. It's like, oh, it's not woe is me at all, but I'm saying these things were real. It's because I'm trying to follow the Lord and trying to do, uh, you know, what he says. But so physically, just a little bit. Mentally, though, right? 
anguish that creeps in because of what's happening when you're dealing with, with you're suffering because of relational things and decisions people are making and what they're believing about you and, and you feel like, no, I was so sincere here and they're accusing you of things that are anything but sincere and, and that brings you mental anguish, right? I, I, how, how do I put this together? Uh, it's just, um, and what happens is false beliefs start to creep in because of what's happening. You start to think, what's the point of trying, right? Well, that's not a biblical thought. Uh, you start thinking, yeah, here's the, well, who's going to turn against us next, right? Who's going to do, because these are people that you love and care about, and they, you've experienced that in life, I'm sure. By the way, what I'm talking about today, a lot of you have probably experienced just as well as me. Okay, this is not unique to me or to Glenda and I. Uh, emotional suffering, emotional pain in relationships that get torn apart. When you have a relationship with someone over a long period of time, and, and we are family, right? And what happens in your family or in any family when relationships go boom and explode and get torn apart? That's emotionally painful, isn't it? And emotionally scarring in, in many ways. Uh, especially when it was against your church, fellow church members, your your friends, and when people believe the worst about you when you did the best to do what was right. And maybe you didn't get it perfect. Maybe I didn't get it perfect, right? But I was sincerely trying to do the best I knew how. Imperfect Walt. Hey, that'd be, I should put that in my title. <laughs> Pastor Imperfect Walt. Um, and then assuming bad about you, that is so hard. You know, it's like, but I didn't do that. What I, I was trying, I was doing what was, I thought was right, and, but you're getting accused of other things. And by the way, this has, God has done so many good things in my life because of these things. Me and judging, I am, am very, very slow to judge anybody. I mean, if, if you're saying God's, Jesus isn't God, and I know for a fact you're saying that, I'm going to say that's wrong. <laughs> I'm talking about the, when I hear something about someone, it's, it, whether it's in the, someone famous in the news or it's, it's one of you or whatever, it's kind of like, nah, you know what? There's way too much I don't know. I'm not going to make that judgment on them. And that's been such a good thing for me. So one of the things, positive things that came out about that. Um, all right, family, suffering with issues related to family. We moved away from family back in 1982. There was no Facebook. There was no uh, free, unlimited calling. It cost a lot of money to call back then, long distance, and we didn't really have that money to spend. You know, you might letters, you might send some pictures that you get developed because, you know, you took pictures, you just have to get them developed. Some of you remember that? <laughs> and you hope they came out good. And we didn't see you, you send those some back and forth some, and we, we saw our family once every few years. That was hard. Okay, that, that's some suffering. Uh, again, you know, it sounds strange to say it when someone across the world's family members are getting killed. But it was still hard. It was still suffering that came with it. Uh, early on with my parents, my parents were not positive about what I was doing for a number of years. And that was hard. We got a call one day from my, uh, oh no, I got an eight-page letter from my father. 
asked me what we were trying to do with our kids. Were we trying to prepare them to be monks? <laughs> and that was hard. Um, and being the pastor, especially during difficult times in the church, because when I became the senior pastor, it was a really hard time for the church because of what had happened. Um, that brought a tremendous amount of added pressure to our marriage. Marriage is hard enough to begin with. True? And there might be a few of you who have the fairy tale marriage, and I'm happy for you. Most of us are because we're, we're born sinners and struggle with all sorts of things, and we've had, right, we have a hard time. So marriage already has difficulties, and this brought a tremendous amount of added pressure to the marriage. It, things that affected me deeply, and, and I kind of just held in, it, that affected how I responded or didn't respond to Glenda, and, which affected her deeply, and, and uh, so now we're both being affected negatively by the events that are going on outside of our marriage. We're both hurting. We both have our issues. We don't know how to, to deal with them. And, and actually, one of God's blessings in the um, spring of 2002, we were able to go and spend two whole, we had homework to do. We went to spend two whole days and evenings with some counselors who help people in ministry and to deal with that. And, and as a result, man, whole different approach to life. Got free of so many things. So I mean, God used it, see? But that was hard. So hard. I remember sitting down. I had asked three men to function as elders of the church, and I sat down with them, and I said, look, Glenda and I, we're not getting divorced. You know, we're committed to each other, but I got to tell you, it just isn't working and is not fun anymore. And we don't know how to get out of it. And that was because of the situation we were in, because we were choosing to follow the Lord's leading and serve him, Okay. And there's still some scars there in our lives from that. You get scars, but scars are okay. They, they can actually remind you some good things. My kids have the tremendous amount of things that they, they got exposed to and uh, good things, opportunities, because they were my kids. But they also were affected negatively by a lot of dynamics. When we went through a few years in the church, and thank you, that this church, you guys aren't like this. But it was just a hard time, that whole transitional time. And so some of my, my kids were affected negatively, all these different dynamics. Some have had faith struggles along the way because of things that went down with their peers during that time. Um, and having a father as a pastor brings a difficult dynamic to kids. I think having Walt as a father is challenge enough. <laughs> okay? And having, being a pastor. Um, and so we have... Well, let me say, yeah, during all of this, I still have to preach and teach and bear other people's burdens every week while I got all this going on. Maybe I should have handled it differently. Maybe, you know, I just did the best I knew how. But anyway, but so much growth in my relationship with the Lord has come because of that, you know? Uh, I think I serve the Lord more effectively. Like I said, I'm not judgmental. I believe the best about you and about others. And um, So hard, but so much good. And I want you to know, hear this. There is no way this is, I'm not saying to you, woe is me today. It is a privilege to serve. It's a privilege to be involved in other people's lives and 
uh, the things that you get to share with them, hard things, happy things. It's a privilege. But the idea is, and what you understand is that suffering will come to those who serve Christ. Not just the pastors. Mine has those unique things of pastors. But if you choose to serve Christ, in fact, I know some of you. I know some of your stories. I know some of you have family relationships that are just terribly hard right now because you have chosen to be faithful to Christ. These kinds of things are inevitable. That's what Jesus told us. Okay? And by God's grace, we're okay. We're able to go forward. His grace, as Paul says, is sufficient. And there is no suffering for sincerely serving Christ that will not be rewarded in heaven. And I guarantee you at that time you will say, it was worth it. Thank you, Lord. It was worth it. All right, so if you're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, you're going to experience suffering. And let's uh, just let's move quickly. One of the things that, that God brought us to over the years, Glenn and I, and she's actually one that noticed it first, and, and I jumped in with her, and that's that Peter, Peter talks about this in his first letter. And let me just share with you some of the things he says that were so helpful to us and it still just rings so true to me today. So let's start. He says this. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, it was because you're doing what you believe is right, one endures grief, suffering, key word there, wrongfully. You shouldn't have to suffer, but you do. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, okay? And as you're suffering because you did what's wrong, guess what? That also goes with the territory, but that's not the kind of suffering we're talking about. Let's go to the next one. He says, but when you do good, do good and suffer. If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So you're doing good. And this is why it hurts so much, too, because you try to do what's good and right. And then the hurt comes, the suffering comes. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. If we're following Christ, we too will suffer. Let's go on. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Boy, that's a tough one to remember in the middle of it. But when you can stay, at this point in my life, I'm more likely to remember that because I've been through it before. And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Do good. You're going to suffer. What do you want to suffer for? You want to suffer because you did something wrong? You might as well suffer for doing what's right because God will use that in great ways in your life and will reward you for it in eternity. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that when you partake of Christ's sufferings, and that's what you're doing, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. But this idea, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange. When you find yourself suffering for serving Christ, don't think it's strange. Why? Because it's not strange. <laughs> it's, it's normal. Okay? And it's temporary. If anyone suffers as a Christian, now that's because you're following Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So here I am, Lord. I'm yours. And that's one of the huge things he brought me to in the middle of all those things, that here I am, Lord. I'm here. So he made me revisit that earlier commitment. 
And then Peter finally says this. He says, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered, read the next two words, a while. Oh, come on. After you have suffered, a while. It's not permanent. After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Man, I've experienced so much of that in my life. So if you're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, you are going to experience suffering. Let's pick up the rest of the passage here. Verse 24. And when the ten heard it, that James and John were trying to get the two top positions, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Greatly displeased. Uh, Another way this word could be translated is indignant, like they're in shock and can't believe you guys are trying to get those positions. You know why we're shocked and upset? Why? We wanted those positions. You know, they were as messed up as James and John in this area because we see other situations where they're arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Verse 25, but Jesus called them to himself. He has to straighten this out. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. So they can see this for the, Gentile, uh, the, the, the Romans. Man, authority was the biggest thing. And who had rank over who and who could require other people to do things. He says, you know this, you've seen this. Verse 26, yet it shall not be so among you. It's like, nope, we're not going there. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. That's a tough word. Just as the Son of Man, and he talks about himself again, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so he says when he came as a human being, he came to serve the needs of others. And so, Jesus here, I believe, tells us this. It's just this. It's don't focus on becoming great as a follower of Christ. Don't focus on becoming great. Instead, focus instead on serving others like Christ did. Don't focus on becoming well-known, on becoming popular, you know, getting a position where everybody sees you or everybody appreciates you. Give that up. Come and think, what are the needs of the people around me that God has given me to serve? You know? How, what has he enabled me to do? And how do I do that? To focus in on that. And we don't, don't normally do this, but we're actually going to turn to another passage today. Find Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, that's page 1349 in the Bible that's there on those chairs. Here in chapter 2, Paul starts off telling them to be, uh, you know, uh, humble, serve each other, care about each other, uh, be concerned for each other. And then he goes on, verse 5, and he says, let, let this mind be in you. Here's what, how you, I want you to think, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so how did Jesus, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And so it's going to tell us how he does this here. Verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And it wasn't him saying I'm God wasn't taking anything to himself that wasn't already his. He was God who became a human being. Verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation. Gave up the reputation. 
And I'm just going to move through these pretty quickly here. If you're going to serve others the way Christ served, don't worry about what others think of you. Don't worry about what others think of you. Let that go. That's a hard one sometimes, isn't it? And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't care at all about what's my reputation. Make sure you're making choices that are, you know. But if, if they, because you're serving Christ, someone has a problem with you. I have no words, right? We know. So made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. View yourself as a servant of others. That's who I am. One of the, uh, there was a couple that Glenn and I met in Bible college, and I, I, I interacted with them some after that, but they so impacted me because that was their whole mindset was serving others. That's, that's why in their marriage, they wanted to serve others with their family, their kids, with their stuff, with, and, and just it, it, it really affected me in some really positive ways, okay? Uh, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men of human beings. You need to identify with the people you're serving. Okay? And, and you can be serving people, and you can do it like this, like I kind of got when I was growing up, and my parents took us down to the inner city to, to help all of those poor, poor people. Right? And, oh, we're going to go help them. And that's a good thing to do, right? But in my young age, I didn't think about what I was thinking. Right? We identify with people. We don't think, oh, we're the rescuers. We're the white knight coming in to save you. No. We're humbling ourselves and identifying with you like, yeah, you know, we're the same underneath it all. Let me help you. What can I do for you? Okay? Uh, and then he became obedient. Oh, excuse me, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so be willing to suffer unfairly in order to serve effectively. Did Jesus deserve to die and pay sins? No, he was innocent, holy. But he did it for us. And we need to have that sin. Because if you're going to serve other people, sometimes you're going to have to suffer. It might cost you something that you didn't expect to pay, not just money in your life. Okay, and then uh, finally here, he humbled himself, middle of verse 8, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, that suffering. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. Just therefore God, dot, dot, dot. Therefore God. So finally, trust God for the outcome. If you need people to respond a certain way or do something different for you to feel like you've done what God wants you to do, you're in a world of hurt. Because <laughs> very often they won't do that. We need to serve without expecting anything in return. We're doing this. Why, Why am I serving? Because this is what the Lord led me to do. What are the results? I hope the results are great. But whether the results are great, whether I see them, by the way, in this kind of work, when you're ministering to other people, teaching them, sometimes you, you don't ever really get to see the results of what you're doing. You've got to trust that God is doing what he said he'd do. Okay? With all this. So, these two things, these two lessons, first inevitability is that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to suffer. And this last one, focus on becoming a servant, serving others and meeting their needs. And again, I start at the top. If you've never received Jesus as Savior, you've never, never settled that issue, you can right now, but please feel free to ask questions. Ask someone. We will be thrilled to talk to you about that. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the high calling that you've given us to, to, as crazy as it sounds, Lord, from a human perspective, but the high calling to suffer like Jesus did, to suffer for serving others, meeting the needs of others, and help us, Lord, to focus not on ourselves and building ourselves up, but on how do we serve others for you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's see if we have any questions today. I love questions. Is anybody sending in one right now? Because there are none. So, And that's fine. We can always talk about it. We don't have to do it here and now. All right. God bless you. Uh, let you know in probably... Uh, we're going to start up the Bible studies again after this hour, probably after Easter, okay? And we'll be letting you know what that's going to be. God bless you. Go have a great week. Serve the Lord. You'll be glad you did.